You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter and creator of the website, MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Today should be a great program. We have one of my favorite Catholic bloggers joining us today. Uh, That's Mark Shea. He's a popular Catholic writer and speaker. And he's the author of numerous books. His most recent work is The Work of Mercy and The Heart of Catholic Prayer. He writes uh, his own blog and also writes for the National Catholic Register, and he's been writing a number of uh, interesting articles in the past couple weeks about private revelation. So we're going to be talking to him a little bit today about different attitudes towards private revelation. Uh, What do different Protestant groups and Catholics, what is their view of modern miracles? Do they still happen? And especially we'll take a look at Marian apparitions, some of the different attitudes that different denominations and aspects of, of our Christian tradition have. So should be very interesting today to talk with Mark. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question from Catholic Pub Trivia, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world, on today, February 11th, which, of course, is Our Lady of Lourdes today, one of the biggest feasts in our Church, especially relating to a Marian apparition. Uh, We'll be covering that in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project and more on Our Lady of Lourdes can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Now, this past weekend, I gave three talks at a retreat at Our Sorrowful Mother's Ministry in Vandalia, Illinois. They're based uh, way down south in Illinois near St. Louis, and I had a great experience. Father Peter Stryker, who was on our show some weeks ago uh, talking about Our Lady of Good Help, he's the rector of the Shrine at Our Lady of Good Help. He gave an excellent retreat and gave us a little bit of the history of Our Lady of Good Help and talked about some of the miracles that are happening there. Fascinating stuff. So I highly recommend checking out Our Sorrowful Mother's Ministry At osmm.org, they have a great devotion to Our Lady um, under that title, and they they put on some great retreats, so I highly recommend checking them out. Now, today in Miracle News, uh, I want to talk about a little story that I read uh, on a British news source. It's reporting the miracle recovery of a last rites patient. Now, of course, this is pretty rare uh, most times when people receive the last rites, uh, they are they gain all the graces of that sacrament, uh, but we rarely see a recovery uh, as dramatic as this one. So here's here's how the story goes. Uh, there was this woman who was given the last rites, and she stunned her family when she started to talk just a few hours later. So she was uh, completely unresponsive, not talking uh, at all, and shortly after receiving the last rites, she began to speak again. Her name is Mary Young. She had received end-of-life care following a heart attack, 
and was visited by uh, the Barnsley Hospital chaplain, Father Peter Needham. Uh, Mary was 87 years old, or is 87 years old, and uh, she was taken to the hospital on January 11th. Her daughter, Marie, uh, was contacted the next day by the staff to say that her mother was deteriorating and that she and her brother Tommy should come as her mother was at the end of her life. Um, the, she says, quote, uh, my mother was out of it, the nurse said. She could have just hours or days. She didn't even know Father Peter was there, but he came to give her the last rites. Uh, Marie continues and says, I stayed with her after and was talking to her, and all of a sudden she started answering me. It's a miracle, she said. There's no other explanation. You can take it as gospel what the doctors say, but they themselves couldn't believe it. Um, and uh, Mary, the mother, was allowed to go home on January 24th. Uh, she doesn't even remember anything from needing an ambulance to waking up and talking to Marie, but she said she felt someone was looking down on her. So that's quite an uh, exciting story, especially for that family, and uh, emphasizes the importance of the last rites. And to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, update on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week, I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week, as in past weeks, we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and child. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic churches, schools, or religious organizations, uh, and hosts Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. For those listeners in the Chicago area, one such event that's coming up is on February 15th, at 6 p.m., hosted by St. Mary of Perpetual Help in Chicago. The $15 admission fee includes a pasta dinner. Prizes for winners. Uh, more information can be found at stmaryofperpetualhelp.com or catholicpubtrivia.com. Now, uh, today is the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, so we always try to keep the question aligned to the theme. So here's the question. Today's feast of Our Lady of Lourdes is on the Roman calendar for the Universal Church. Can you name the other three Marian apparition titles that are also on the calendar? So that question again for you is, today's feast of Our Lady of Lourdes is on the Roman calendar for the Universal Church. Can you name the three other Marian apparition titles that are also on the calendar? And we will reveal the winner later in the show. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. Now, for those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com.
Now it's time for our segment, 365 Days with Mary. Each week we'll be doing this segment, 365 Days with Mary, and it's a project, for those of you who don't know, who don't know it's a project that for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there is a Marian title, feast, or commemoration, usually of an apparition or other miraculous event, uh, sometime a title just associated with that town. Uh, Mary is celebrated throughout the world. It never ceases to amaze me how the world honors our mother, the Mother of God uh, with all these feasts. So this project collects all the dates into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, and the history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for those wishing to see these places. Additionally, it collects all the prayers for each of these titles of Mary. So if you want to pray to Our Lady under a different title for each day of the year, visit 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. Be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version, in the form of a daily organizer, makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. And today's feast, of course, is the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. It is one of the greatest feasts in our Church's history, um, and it is one of the few uh, Marian apparitions that are honored or are listed as feasts on the Roman calendar. So it's, all, it's February 11th uh, each year, and I'm going to go over just a little bit about how the story goes regarding Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, so on February 11, 1858, Bernadette Subaru, who was a 14-year-old girl, went to gather firewood with her younger sister and a friend. When they came to a, a river or canal near the river grove, the other girls waded through the river, but Bernadette stopped to take off her stockings. And later in the reports where she told, tells the police some days later, um, she says, I heard a very loud voice in the hedge above the grotto. I looked that way, and I saw the bushes moving. And behind them, there was something white. I looked for a moment, then I knelt and prayed. That one smiled at me and vanished into the grotto. Now, over the next five months, Bernadette saw the lady called simply The One at the grotto 17 times more, accompanied by ever more onlookers. So her small group of friends grew into a large group of people as the word spread around the town. Nobody else saw the apparition, but many were convinced by the girl's radiant, angelic face when she was in ecstasy. On February 25th, she said, quote, She told me to go drink of the spring. That one indicated that some bare ground near the grotto uh, she was to dig, so uh, Bernadette dug there with her hands. But there only I found a little muddy water. At the fourth attempt at digging, I was able to drink. She also made me eat the bitter herbs that were found near the spring, and then the vision left and went away. The 300 witnesses or so who were there were pretty disconcerted to see this uh, little girl kneeling in the mud with her face covered with mud and grass. 
On March 1st, Bernadette's friend Catherine uh, regained the use of her dislocated arm after plunging it into the spring, and uh, it was the first of many, many miracles that are attributed to Lourdes. On March 25th, Bernadette asked the lady's identity. She says, quote, She lifted her eyes up to heaven, joined her hands as though in prayer, and said to me, I am the Immaculate Conception, incorporating into the uneducated girl's dialect the terminology of the papal dogma that had just been issued four years earlier. I am the Immaculate Conception. Turns out that was the key phrase when she spoke to the priests and authorities, that they recognized that this was authentic. St. Bernadette later became a Sister of Charity of Nevers, where her body lies incorruptible and is enshrined. Our Lady of Lourdes became the major Marian devotion of the next century, and it became beloved as a source of spiritual and physical healing and a beacon of faith. Uh, the, the image of Our Lady as Bernadette saw her, standing, hands folded in prayer, with a long white veil over her head and a long blue sash hanging from her waist, uh, it's, that image has been reproduced around the world in every country where Catholics have had this devotion to Our Lady. Uh, the Catholic Church celebrates the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes on February 11th. So in Lourdes, the biggest pilgrimage is on the Feast of the Assumption, August 15th. So to read more about Our Lady of Lourdes, you can visit MiracleHunter.com or visit our project, 365DaysWithMary.com. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. You can call in with your questions at 866 333 Mary, that's 866-333-MARY, and for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. I'm very excited uh, about this next portion of the show. I will be doing our interview with Mark Shea. Mark Shea is a popular Catholic writer and speaker, and he's the author of numerous books. With his most recent work, The Work of Mercy, and the Heart of Catholic Prayer. Uh, he's published a, re- a number of recent articles on his blog, appearing on the Catholic National Catholic Register, and they relate to private revelation. So we welcome to the show today, Mark Shea. Hello there. Hi, thanks for joining us today, Mark. Hi. So great. Uh, I've been following your blog, and I've been noticing that lately uh, you've been posting a ton of uh, blog posts and articles about private revelation. Mm-hmm. and. And, of course, that, that caught my attention, and I was hoping you could tell the audience a little bit. How would you describe private revelation, and how is it different than public revelation? Well, uh, public revelation is the revelation entrusted to the Church uh, that closed with the death of the Apostles. Uh, the Church tells us to expect no more public revelation until the really big public, final public revelation, which will be the second coming of Jesus. Uh, so, uh, uh, what that means is God can, God being God, uh, lives out what I call, at Harvard University there used to be a joke in the, uh, in the animal research labs that um, uh, animals under carefully controlled laboratory conditions will do whatever they feel like. Uh, and this is exactly the same truth uh, in spades with God. Uh, You can't put any limits on God. You can't tell God what he's allowed to do and not do. So there have been, for example, Christians who have tried to insist that uh, 
God no longer is allowed to do miraculous things with the close of uh, Revelation, that the Bible is all you need. It's a kind of an Islamic take on the Bible, you know, that this is God's only miracle now, and, and God is not allowed to do any other miracles, and God sort of blithely ignores these people and goes on <laughs> doing weird things anyway, uh, because he's God, and, you know, you can't tell him what he can and can't do. And so down through history, uh, what you'll see is now and then uh, God will do weird things. Uh, so we have all kinds of stories of, you know, of saints who have worked miracles and so forth. And, uh, you know, in our, even in our own uh, fairly recent history, for example, you have the spectacle of people like Padre Pio yes. uh, doing all kinds of weird things. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, stigmata and, you know, bilocation and miraculous things and so forth. And, and so this has happened all down through history because... Uh, God can do whatever he likes. But the thing about all of those sorts of things uh, is that uh, what private revelation does is it always points us back to the public revelation uh, given to the apostles. So the content of private revelations, no matter how weird they are, uh, and startling and strange and amazing sometimes they can be, uh, is there all, the content of them is always basically saying, uh, go to Mass, be nice to your sister, obey the Ten Commandments, live the Beatitudes, uh, do what you were told to do when your mom took you to Mass when you were five years old. And can you tell us what our obligation is as Catholics? I mean, like you say, a lot of these private revelations lead us back to Christ. They give us some tools, how to live our faith better, but what are our obligations as Catholics uh, regarding the ones that are approved and ones that are still hanging in the balance? Uh, well, the obligation, our obligation of, as Catholics is to discern uh, whether or not a private revelation, uh, you know, is, is something that God is calling us to uh, personally pay attention to. There are a zillion private revelations out there. Uh, approved by the Church, and nobody can observe them all. Uh, And typically what happens is a private revelation will speak to you. The the tricky thing about private revelation is that they're basically, uh, uh, the Church is is walking a tightrope, because on the one hand, uh, you have to. De- the church has to determine whether a private revelation is worthy of belief. That's like the highest thing that the church can say about a private revelation is it can say, well, this seems worthy of belief. So it looks, for example, at uh, the apparition to uh, St. Bernadette uh, at Lourdes and says, yeah, this looks like it's worthy of belief. It looks like the Blessed Virgin Mary really did appear to her. Um, at that point, uh, that's the, the church has had its say. Uh, and I think, you know, anybody looking at, for example, uh, the apparitions at, at Lourdes or Fatima or other approved uh, revelations, uh, private revelations, would say, yeah, this looks like this is an apparition of Mary. What does Mary say? Well, what Mary says, for example, at, uh, at Fatima is, uh, yes, uh, uh, the, the Church's definition of the Immaculate Conception is true. Uh, in other words, it refers us. She refers us back to the public revelation again. Yes. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, and so uh, our duty, I think, as Catholics, is to listen to the guidance of the Church here and say, well, what can we, what can we learn from this? What is, what is this particular private revelation saying to us? What is it saying to the Church? Uh, uh, when the Church is discerning these things, there, uh, there are a couple of there interesting problems, I think. Uh, I write about this uh, in my book, Mary, Mother of the Son. The, 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 the tricky thing uh, about claims of private revelation, of course, is that uh, just because somebody has claimed a private revelation doesn't mean anything. Right. Uh, it, 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 and our tendency is to assume that if it's, not, if it's not a real private revelation, it must be a fake. This must be a fraud. Somebody's lying. Now, there are cases, I think, where we really are dealing with fraud. But I think in most cases, uh, what's often happening is somebody really believes that they've received a private revelation. Yes. Uh, and so they're honest people, but they're just mistaken, perhaps. Right. Uh, so, for example, about 10 years ago, there was a classic case of, of what we're talking about here. And this, is, this illustrates, I think, the problem that the Church faces when trying to discern these things. So about 10 years ago, actually really now about 20 years ago, uh, there was a Baptist lady down in, I think, Florida, uh, who went in the kitchen, made herself a grilled cheese sandwich, <laughs> bit into it, and then looked at her grilled cheese san- sandwich and was astonished and terrified to see what she took to be the face of the Blessed Virgin Mary on her grilled cheese sandwich. I never remember. Yeah, and we hear this story and we think, ah, you know. But here's the thing. She was absolutely sincere about this. She totally believed this. How do I know this? Well, because nobody knew about this for like 11 years. What she did was she actually built a little shrine for her grilled cheese sandwich. It was just in her house. Only she knew about it. She didn't talk about it with anybody else. But she was sure that Mary had appeared to her on this grilled cheese sandwich. And so she would go and tell Mary her troubles and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. And eventually, her husband got emphysema, couldn't work anymore, they were running out of money, she didn't know what to do, so in a truly only in America kind of story, she put the grilled cheese sandwich up for auction on eBay in the hope of getting something so that she could live. And she did this with tremendous reluctance and really didn't want to do it. And that was how the story gets out. And, uh, you know, the long and the short of it is Golden Online Casinos (laughs) about this and pays her, like, some huge amount of money, and they give her and her husband, like, this RV and tell them to drive around the country, tell people about their experience with the grilled cheese sandwich, and, oh, by the way, mention Golden Online Casinos, you know. Right, right. And here's the interesting thing, though. At the end of the story, uh, this is about 10 years ago now, what was fascinating was that this woman was considering becoming a Catholic hmm. because of this experience. Why? Well, because she raised a Baptist. Nobody in her Baptist tradition talked about Mary. And she okay. knew that the Catholic Church venerated Mary. And so she was thinking about becoming a Catholic, last I heard, mm-hmm. because of this uh, grilled cheese sandwich. So okay. the question then becomes... Was it a private revelation, or wasn't it? (laughs) And that's the tricky thing, because God is unscrupulous. He will use any weird thing, right? So uh, 60, 70 years ago, a seminarian is walking home from uh, work, uh, and he gets hit by a car. 
car accidents happen all the time. Mm-hmm. This seminarian survived the car accident and concludes from this that this is God's sign to him that he should indeed become a priest. Mm-hmm. That seminarian's name was Carol Wojtyla. <laughs> and he goes on to become, uh, I think, without any question, the most uh, significant figure of the second half of the 20th century. All right. All because of this car accident that happened. And again, so the question is, uh, what are we talking about when we're talking about private revelation? When we think of private revelation, we tend to think of like big, spectacular things like the right. miracle of the sun, mm-hmm. you know, or Mary appearing at uh, Lourdes or Fatima or Knock or wherever. Uh, but I would argue that private revelations happen with incredible frequency, because if you define a private revelation as that moment where the spark jumps the gap from the public revelation to the heart of a particular person, and they realize that God is talking to me, that happens a lot. And it Mm -hmm. typically doesn't happen with a lot of fanfare. It never gets into the paper. Nobody knows about it. Uh, So the recipient of a private revelation can have this moment where the whole universe changes for them, and the person sitting next to them notices nothing. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, most people think of private revelation as these spectacular events, like you say, but it can be intended for one person and one person only. Right. Uh, you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We are here with author Mark Shea, and for more information on this program, visit MiracleHunter.com. Uh, now, Mark, uh, you, you mentioned the, the approved revelations within the Church. What about the ones that are on the fence, where the Church hasn't condemned them, but they have not approved them, and they sort of sit in this strange middle territory. What is the Catholic's responsibility? Well, not responsibility. What should be the Catholic's attitude towards these that stand in the middle? Um, my attitude is proceed with caution. Um, there are plenty of private revelations, and one of the problems that we have in the world, uh, I think, are, are uh, people who sort of go chasing after stuff like this, uh, I tend to caution against that, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, that's the that's exactly why the church discerns these things, uh, is so that you don't wind up getting snookered by you know either deluded people or frauds. Right. Uh, you know the the problem the problem with with frauds, of course, is that frauds. Uh, are, are good at fooling you, and uh, it's it, the 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 hunger for uh, signs, miracles, what I call special effects. Uh, I think is something that the tr- the tradition tends to caution against, because our main uh, focus is is not on special effects. Our main focus is supposed to be faith, hope, and love. Uh, And so, if the Church has not approved uh, something, and particularly the more outlandish, uh, and often, one of the things that you'll notice uh, about claims of private revelation, uh, and particularly the more dubious kind, is that that they they often tend to trade in terrifying oracles about some awful thing that's about to happen, and we all need to be terrified. The louder those kinds of claims speak, the more you should be careful. 
and and my counsel generally is to ignore them because the people who tend to be attracted to those things are usually exactly the people who should be staying away from them because they have a this fearful need to want to know what the future is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's my recommendation is there are plenty of approved revelations. Stick with those. Uh, and on the other stuff, just leave it be until the church actually speaks. And, of course, of course the church is very cautious about approving anything. Uh, you have uh, the apparition to Our Lady in Le Lau in uh, France in 1664. It was only approved in the year 2008. And even when you look at Lourdes, which is uh, today's feast day, uh, of the many thousands or millions of people who have gone and claimed some sort of a healing, uh, mental, physical, spiritual healing, there have only been 69 that have been validated by the commission that's on site. So the Church is very, very cautious about these approvals. Right. Probably because, of course, I mean, the Church doesn't... You know, it's 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 just common sense. You don't want to do something stupid, right? And say, oh, this is obviously you know um, a valid apparition, and then it turns out that you know. <laughs> and so the, the the church's guidelines are are fairly commonsensical. You know, uh, do do the seers uh, are, are the seers crazy? Uh, mm-hmm. They give evidence that they're just nuts. Uh, are they making a bunch of money off of this? Right. Uh, is the stuff that they're saying in line with the church's tradition? Uh, are they listening to ecclesial authorities? Those kinds of, of questions yeah. uh, are the, the, the kind of common sense questions that uh, anybody would ask. Uh, and um, exactly what ecclesial authority is there to do is, is evaluate these kinds of things. Um, so I, yeah, my, my tendency, you know, unless, you know, if the Blessed Virgin Mary appears to me, which... So far, she has neglected to do. Um, uh, Then, and only then, I would be bound in conscience. As, for example, the seers at Fatima felt bound in conscience uh, to to tell what they saw uh, Mm -hmm. and and to obey what they were told to do. Um, But most of us are not in that position. Most of us are in the position of somebody else is telling us this. You know, Mary is appearing here and saying this, or somebody's had this miraculous thing happen. Uh, and in in those rare cases where we are personally bound in conscience, then yeah. But most of the time, we're relying on ecclesial authority uh, to, to help us discern these things. Um, that said, as I mentioned before, uh, I, th- I, I suspect that almost every person on planet Earth, if you took them aside, uh, would, if you pressed them, would say, you know, I had this really weird thing happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that all the time. Every oh, yeah, time I give, I mean, a, no, I give a talk or, or talk to somebody know. about miracles, everybody's got a story. Yep. Sure. Uh, you know, and I got a couple of Lulus. You know, I was... Uh, I. I uh, I had a friend years ago uh, who worked on the burn unit at Harborview Hospital. They brought in a little girl who was 18 months old. She had third-degree burns over 90% of her body. Uh, and we prayed for her. Uh, I was just coming into the Catholic Church along with my friend. Uh, we asked the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. A bunch of people were praying for her. We had masses being said and so forth. And um, this girl, the following week, uh, was out of her bed, 
down in the playroom playing, had uh, completely healed, did not require a single skin graft uh, after third-degree burns over 90% of her body. Oh. It was astounding. Right? <laughs> now, that wow. story never made the papers. Nobody's ever heard. The only people who have ever heard that story are people who know me mm-hmm. or who have read, you know, read uh, my writing about that particular incident. Uh, was that uh, a church-approved private revelation? Well, no. Was it something that I paid close attention to? Absolutely. Sure. Uh, it, you know, that was, that, was, that was the sign that said, uh, to me, that said, again, driving me back toward the public revelation that said, absolutely, you should ask for the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's nothing wrong with that. God says that's just fine. And okay. so, you know, for me, that was a private revelation. Do you, are you bound in conscience to believe that story? No. It's not part of the public revelation. But private revelations like that are all over the place, all over the world, and have been throughout the history of the Church. Uh, and so when we're paying attention to private revelation, you know, we, we weigh these things uh, <clears throat> using common sense. And, you know, I'm, you know, I certainly don't expect anybody to you know, develop some devotion to this particular right. incident. Uh, and there are moments in the history of the Church where the Church does say, this is a thing that's worthy of belief. That means you can believe it if you like. You don't have to. Uh, you can go your whole life without ever, you know, offering a, a prayer to Our Lady of Fatima. And the Church is not going to say boo about that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the Church holds these things up to us and says, this is another help that mm-hmm. God gave us for our faith. So, might as well say thank you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and use it if it, if it fits that, in. That gratuitous gift, God didn't have to do that, but He did it. So, you know, now, let's say thanks. It's not part of the public revelation, but so what? I mean, it's, it's, still, a, it's still a marvelous gift. Now, Mark, we have a caller on the line who has a question or a story for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Caller L, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a private revelation that I'd kind of like to share. Great. Let's let's hear your story. Uh, this happened about 20 years ago. I have five children, and one of my daughters died in a car in a in a in an automobile accident. I'm sorry to hear that. And as a Catholic for my entire life, I didn't understand how God could take away one of my children from me. And it, if you're a parent. You never expect your child to die before you. You expect, you know, your children to outlive you and bury you. So it, it really bothered me that my daughter died. I talked to my priest. I did a 30-day novena where I went to church every day, went to Mass every day, said a rosary every day, and asked that I be given a sign that my daughter was in heaven. Yes. And at the end of this 30-day novena, in my prayers, I was asking for a sign. I asked for a particular sign. And at the end of this 30-day novena, I got that exact sign that I was looking for, Mm. that my daughter was in heaven. And I was able to um, accept it and live with it a little better. Wow. It was one of the things that helped me get over it. Not that you ever get over your daughter dying. It was twenty years ago, and I can remember. I can remember it to this day. Yeah. But it helped. I just oh, kind of wanted to share God. that as a as a 
as a personal uh, miracle, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, that's I, it, the world is, I think, full of those kinds of stories. Uh, and one of the things that's interesting, by the way, about private revelation uh, is that there's private revelation, you know, like all of Jesus' signs, of course, there's, there's nothing about it that forces you to accept it. So we see in the Gospels, for example, that Jesus would work miracles. Uh, you know, some people would fall down at Jesus' feet after a miracle. Other people would, would, would go off to the side and try and figure out a way to kill him uh, after, after he would work a miracle. Uh, and so that's one of the things you'll notice about private revelation is that just because somebody receives a private revelation uh, or, or, or witnesses a private revelation doesn't mean that they'll necessarily receive it. Uh, so you have, on the one hand, um, the, you have the famous story of Augustine, uh, who's struggling in his conscience trying to decide whether or not to become a Christian, and he has, he has that famous moment where he's anguishing and he goes out in the garden uh, and he hears this voice of a child saying, Tole lege, take and read. And so he just goes and just picks up the book of Romans and just starts reading it. Uh, and his eyes fall on this verse, and he is, he is converted uh, as, he, as he reads this verse. And he, he wonders afterwards what this voice was. Was it a kid playing a game on the other side of the wall? Was it an angel? He doesn't know. But he regards it as God's revelation to him, and again, it drives him back to the public revelation. And so that's an example of somebody who experiences private revelation and receives it, but you also have the story of, of uh, 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 the French atheist uh, who says, uh, I just want to see somebody dip their finger into some Lourdes water and have it come out healed. And so he gets, he, he gets taken to uh, Lourdes. Uh, and there he witnesses this woman with this horrendous case of tuberculosis that is like eaten away part of her face and so forth, goes and she washes in the waters at Lourdes and, and comes away healed. The, the skin starts to regrow on her face and her, her lungs suddenly clear up and she gets better. And the atheist leaves Lourdes and then holds a press conference and says, even if I were to see all the sick at Lourdes healed, I would not believe. Mm. Um, and so... Just because someone has received a private revelation uh, doesn't mean that they're going to accept it. And so uh, our caller is someone who not only experienced a private revelation, but receives the grace that came with it. Uh, and what was that grace for? Well, the grace was for, was to give him, uh, among other things, uh, the grace of hope. Uh, he will see his daughter again, you know, because he and she are both united in Christ. And so, once again, it's all about bringing us back to that public revelation, which is the main thing, uh, our relationship with Jesus. Yeah, thank you for your call, Al, and for sharing your story. That was yeah, great. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. And for those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill on the Miracle Hunter radio show. I'm here with Mark Shea. Uh, that's, that's a pretty amazing story that uh, Al shared, Mark. Um, yeah, uh, pretty, pretty great. Um, one thing that I wanted to cover with you today was you've been writing a little bit about 
uh, we've been talking about Our Lady of Lourdes and other Marian apparitions, and, and uh, can we talk a little bit about the attitudes of other faiths as they look at Marian apparitions, for example? They, they have kind of a, a, a skeptical eye at best, would be a nice way to put it uh, sometimes, well, I think, it when they look depends. at these. Uh, it depends on, on the tradition. It's a funny thing, you know. Um, it really does, uh, so much of it seems to depend not only on what you see, but the way that you see. Um, you know those uh, those optical illusions where you look at uh, the black and white blocks and they all yes. seem to be facing one way, and then all of a sudden they're all facing the other way. And what changes is you, not the thing that you're looking at. Right. Uh, so, for example, there's there's a very famous uh, Marian apparition that happened in Egypt in Zaytun, mm-hmm. uh, where Mary appears, and the, the eyewitnesses were primarily Muslims. Uh, you know, what's up with that? Well, in the Muslim tradition, strangely enough, uh, Mary is revered. Correct. And so there's an, there's an openness there. You know, and one of the things that we see in the Gospels is that uh, Matthew uh, tells us, you know, in some places, Jesus, he says, not, not would not, but rather could not do miracles uh, because of the refusal to believe. Mm-hmm. That's a strange thing that I don't understand completely, but it really does seem to have to do with the fact that uh, if we close our hearts, we close our hearts, uh, and God respects our freedom. Um, So there are different Christian traditions. Uh, You know, the apostolic traditions uh, that go back, you know, so for example, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the the Coptics, uh, the Chaldeans, etc., etc., all of these have uh, a tradition of respect for the miraculous uh, and of honor for Mary that goes all the way back to the beginning. More recent traditions, for various reasons, sometimes have a real difficulty with these things. Uh, many uh, Protestant traditions have a real difficulty with veneration of Mary. Some Protestant traditions, not all of them, uh, but some of them, uh, have an insistence that God can't do anything miraculous today. Um, sometimes, you know, God goes ahead and does what he wants anyway. Uh, but one of the things that you find is that uh, even with approved apparitions, many, many Protestant traditions will explain them as, uh, for as human fraud, uh, as demonic deception, uh, as, you know, uh, insanity, these kinds of things. Uh, and, you know, of course, if you point them to, well, the Church says, no, that these, you know, that these things are worthy of belief, you know, if you don't trust the Church, you're not going to trust the Church's judgment here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the essence of, you know, of many Protestant sects is uh, the Catholic Church is wrong. So, you know, trying to appeal to the authority of the Church isn't going to get you very far. Right. Uh, so uh, we look at something like that, and it comes back ultimately to the question of, well, what's the, you know, what do we say about the authority of the Church? Uh, and, and so for many people, you'll run into Catholics very often who will try to appeal to Marian apparitions as some kind of proof of the validity of the Catholic faith. I think that's going about it backwards. Protestant is going to go, well, why should I believe in your demonic, you know, <laughs> deception? Um, uh, or a Protestant is going to say that. Uh, some Protestants will say that. Uh, one of the things that I, I think it's important, and this brings me to, to, to another point that I think is important, is that 
for some Catholics, Marian apparitions in particular loom very, very large in their psychological landscape. Mm-hmm. So large, in fact, uh, that uh, they, they tend to function as, as kind of an alternative to the magisterium. So what do I mean? Well, you'll see people who will who are very head up about the third secret of Fatima, and we can't trust the magisterium of the church. We have to go look for some, you know, guy on the web who has a theory <laughs> of the real meaning of the third secret of Fatima, and all of that. And so the irony uh, of that approach uh, to our life as Catholics is when I was a Protestant. Uh, I, I converted uh, back in 1987, and when I was a Protestant, one of the things that I really assumed was the case was that Catholics regarded Mary as kind of another god. Mm. Uh, then I became Catholic, and what I discovered is that nobody regards Mary as another god, but there are Catholics who regard Mary as another pope, mm-hmm. uh, who really don't trust... <laughs> Uh, the teaching of the church, the teaching of the magisterium, and who tend to navigate by whatever oracle they heard about this week on the interwebs, mm-hmm. uh, where Mary has appeared, you know, on some freeway underpass, and somebody there had some interior locution that told them that we all need to start buying gold because the the terrible thing that's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And so you get people who function this way, who really don't learn what the teaching of the church is because they're too busy running after what they think Mary is telling us all to do this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the things that uh, I, this is why I keep insisting on paying attention to the fact that any valid private revelation, the first thing that it does always is point us right back to the ordinary teaching of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teaching of our bishops, the teaching of our pope. Uh, that's what all real private revelation does. Uh, and so if you're chasing after private revelations that are saying, don't trust the church, trust this seer, trust this oracle, uh, that is your huge red flag <laughs> to stay away from that. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's very, very important uh, for for us to remember. And Mark, have, I know you've written several books. Uh, do any of your books uh, talk about private revelation and, and sort of uh, discernment of revelation? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mary, Mother of the Son is the one that really talks about this. Uh, it's a, uh, Basically, it's a book that's written to help us to understand the place of Mary uh, in the life uh, teaching uh, and uh, devotion of the church, uh, and in um, the third, it's a it's a three part work, and in the third uh, section uh, called miracles, devotion, and motherhood, there's a chapter, a whole chapter that's just devoted to the phenomenon of private revelation. Uh, what do we mean by it? Uh, where, where does the the Marian part of private revelation fit in? Because of course. Uh, Marian apparitions are one species of private revelation, but there are right. gazillions of private revelations of all kinds, right. shapes and sizes. 
And where can people get this book or, or your other books or find out more about your writing? Where should they go to find uh, out more? If you go to my uh, website, mark-shea.com, you can find all my books. Mary, Mother of the Sun is currently in production and will be out from Marytown Press uh, pretty soon. Great. Uh, it's, not, it's not out yet, but uh, it will be out soon. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. You've shed a lot of light on uh, this topic, and I look forward to reading more of your blog posts and books in the future. Thanks, thanks so much. And that was Mark Shea, a popular Catholic writer and speaker. You can read his blog at mark-shea.com or on the National Catholic Register blog at ncregister.com. Uh, now, earlier in the program, we did a Catholic Pub trivia question, wanted to repeat the question and give you the answer. So the question from earlier was, Today's feast is Our Lady of Lourdes. It is on the Roman Catholic calendar for the Universal Church. Can you name the other three Marian apparition titles that are also on the calendar? And those other three were Our Lady of Guadalupe on December 12th, Our Lady of Fatima on May 13th, and Our Lady of Mount Carmel on July 16th. Uh, you can find out more information on Catholic Pub Trivia, and you can organize an event in your area visiting catholicpubtrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank again our guest, author Mark Shea, for joining us on the program. For more information on Mark Shea, go to mark-shea.com. On March 29th, I'll be giving a talk at a Totally Yours pilgrimage in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. For more information on attending this conference, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, but it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.